Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. I really, I really like uh, this part of it when I, when I get up here to get everybody seated, and it's difficult. I like that. I really do. It's, it's, it's annoying. But I really like it because, because people are, are visiting and, and talking and, and sharing and, you know, catching up with their neighbors. And, and that's, that's what the, the church body is. We're all, we're all fellow, uh, fellow fellows, and, and uh, I really like that part of, of, of our church, and I appreciate that. I, I've been to some churches where, you know, <clears throat> people wouldn't talk to each other and, and uh, you know, there was a race toward the door in the back when, when it was over with. And, and, you know, it was a stampede and people were getting their hip knocked down, you know, going through the door with people trying to get out of there. So I, I like this. So uh, thank you for that. And it's going to kind of tie in with what I'm talking about today. So that'll be good. Uh, one announcement, we're going to have beef available tomorrow. So, and lots of beef available. So if anybody's in need of that, please let us know. Uh, Gerald's here this morning and Kathy um, I don't see Anthony, but uh, you can come to me, you can come to Gerald, you can come to Anthony, and uh, we'll get you set up. Um, help your neighbors out if they're hungry. So I, I get the opportunity every, every summer to, to work uh, for a rancher that uh, gets in a lot of stalker cattle. Uh, he, gets, he gets between five and 700 head of yearling heifers in every spring, and we run them through the summer, and uh, then he sells them in the fall. And I love the job because it's it's all cowboy, and I don't have to do any fence fixing or, you know, I don't have to dig out any springs. I don't have to do anything but but move cattle, doctor cattle, and uh, and that's rare around here anymore. Um, but we move those cattle every other day. They they're on a rotation grazing system, and 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 we move them to a new pasture every two days, and so we get to to handle those cattle a lot and, and it's it's fun in the spring because they, they, they get kicked out about the middle of may and when those heifers they've been in a feedlot <coughs> and when they get kicked out in those pastures in those big wide open pastures it's just funny to watch them because they just don't know what to do they, they've been stuck in a little pen you know crowded with their neighbors and and they you know their tail goes up and they go to running and, and it's it's pretty fun to watch them until you have to try to gather them and move them and that first couple times it's it's uh it's always pretty interesting, and it takes quite a while to get them to where they want to bunch back up because they're all they're not, they're they're used to being together, but they're not used to working together, and and so they all want to do their own thing. And if anybody's ever handled yearlings before, yearling cattle, that's the way they are. They're like teenage kids, right? They they're bouncing off the walls, they're scattering. They don't want to stay together. They then then they don't want to come apart, and and uh, so that first, the first day we, we try to gather them and move them, it's funny because we'll get in there and they'll all run to one side of the pasture. And we'll get around them and they'll throw up their tails and they'll all run to the other side of the pasture. And, and it's kind of like a horse. If you lope him around for about an hour, he's, he's a little more easy to get along with. And so after these cattle have loped across the pasture three or four times, they, they decide they, they're, they're going to maybe settle down a little bit. <clears throat> and it takes us about a month to get those cattle kind of trained the way we want them um, and they start learning that, that when, the, when they see horses, they just start to bunch up and start to gather up. And then once we get them all gathered, we'll, we'll move them as a bunch, and then we'll hold them up in the, 
before they go through the gate in the next pasture, we'll hold them up in, in one big bunch and we'll ride through them and check them and rope and doctor anything that's sick. And so when that's over with, the green, all the gates are green, the green gate opens and they all get to go through into the next pasture. And yeah, <clears throat> it's kind of funny because those cattle need to kind of be trained one, one by one. Uh, if you take one, one critter and train it to stay in the herd and train it to, to be able to be worked by a horse, you know, well, if you want to turn a cow, you got to get up and influence its eye and get it to turn away and yield away. If you, want a, if you want a cow to slow down, you have to slow down. If you want it to speed up, you have to speed up. And we train each of those cattle individually. And then when you get them together as a herd, and it doesn't matter how big a herd, it's a, it's a fair-sized herd when you get them all together, pretty soon that herd of cattle can be moved like one cow. If you go to the front of the herd, you can bend it by, by pushing on their eye, and, and you can move them. If you go to the back of the herd, you can bend the back of the herd. If you, if you slow down, all the cattle slow down. If you speed up, all the cattle speed up. And it's a rewarding experience when one or two people can take 600 head of cattle and put them anywhere they want and move them just flowing and, and nice and easy. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and the word I like to use is oneness. That, that herd has oneness in them at that point. They're not all individual cattle anymore. They're one. And that's what God is asking for us in his church and in his, his church body, his, which is what we all are, are experiencing this morning. <clears throat> in Ephesians 4, verse 2, it says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father, who is over all and in all and living through all. <coughs> Paul is talking about the, the vision that, that Christ had for his church. And it's a vision of oneness. Okay, it's not, He didn't have a vision of everybody having their own idea and squabbling and splitting apart and, and doing their own thing. He had a vision of oneness, of all the, of all the believers coming together as one body. Okay? Now, we can see in, in, our, in our modern day and age that there's a lot of different denominations in the church and there's a lot of different ideas and there's a lot of different uh, ways of doing things. And, and the reason we come to this ministry and fellowship is because we like the way it's done, right? The reason we don't go to the other one is because we don't like the way it's done, but, and that's okay, uh, worshiping in, in that way, but we have to make sure that we aren't um, creating and causing division amongst that. We're, we're supposed to be one. We're supposed, supposed to be like that herd of cattle, where we all start out, where we all go our different directions, and, and uh, you know, this, this world kind of celebrates independence, but that's not what God wants. He doesn't want independence. He doesn't want us to throw up our head and go and leave, leave the rest of the, the church body. He wants dependence. Not dependence on each other, but dependence on him. And when that, when that happens, when we depend on him, we, we are united in, in that one common goal. And so there's what I just read there, that, that, ver that kind of paragraph, 
talks about oneness in, in several areas. And the first one is oneness in body. Okay, that's, that's the fellowship. That's all the believers, one body, the body of Christ. Oneness in spirit. That's the one Holy Spirit that we all share, that, that activates our fellowship. Okay? We can't, we're going to be an inactive ministry if, if we don't accept the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is what, what uh, guides us and drives us. We're supposed to be one in hope. Okay? The, the thing that keeps us hopeful is because we know that life doesn't end after this time on earth. We, we, we know there's a glorious future ahead of us. And that's the hope that we all share, and that, and that brings us together. We have oneness in the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, who we all agree is, is, our, uh, is our Lord and Savior. Um, he is the reason for the church, for the gathering of the church and the church body. There's one there's oneness in faith, which is our commitment to Christ. Oneness in baptism. Uh, baptism is our public declaration of, of faith, okay? It, it's our start. When, when we get baptized, it's, it's the beginning of our journey, okay? We all share that. Who put that there? And one God, okay? We all know that there's not multiple gods. There's one God, and we all worship the same God. So we are asked to, be, to share that unity and be become one with each other and that's difficult because everybody isn't the same even though that herd of cattle might look the same we we joke all the time because there there'd be 600 head of black yearling heifers all wearing a yellow tag and we'll have to doctor something right and so we'll spot it and then move the cattle a lot of times you lose that one and you got to find it again and we joke all the time and someone will ask well which one is it we'll say it's the black one with the yellow tag and it might take us 30 minutes to find the dang thing again, but, but even though they're all black with a yellow tag, and, and a lot of inexperienced people would, would look at those cattle and say, I, I, I can't tell the difference, they're all the same. Well, they're not. Even though they're all part of a herd, they're not the same, they're unique. And like Kevin talked about, God didn't make us the same. He made us unique. He gave us each a, a gift. Some of those heifers travel differently you, you learn like by the end of the summer I pretty much can tell I've, I've pretty much uh, gotten to know those cattle well enough that I can pick out most of them as individuals most of most of five or six hundred head as individual because they look different their ears will be different their eyes will be different some are pretty some aren't pretty some some are you know walk slower some walk faster some are bigger some are smaller you can tell the difference in them okay and that's the way God designed us. Was we all have unique gifts. We're all different. Look around. Nobody's the same in here. Uh, <clears throat> nobody's man enough to wear a flat hat in the morning anymore. But. <laughs> but but our differences are what make us unique. And and. Uh, so even though I don't want you to confuse oneness with, with everybody having to be the same and do the same thing, that's not what it's about. It's about having the one common united goal of, of uh, worshiping the same Lord and in, in working together for his uh, goal, which is the good news of spreading the word. And so we can all be individuals, but we can all be one at the same time. And that's my hope for this ministry, and that's what I pray for all the time is that we can 
we can put aside our differences. Um, we have the template in place, okay? Because the very first day when I walked in here and I heard a Texan preaching, I really wanted to stampede out the door and knock my hip down, getting out of here, okay? And I'm not kidding. I'm like, there's no nothing I can learn from a Texan, okay? But he opened his mouth, and through those y'alls and nats and things, uh, I heard God speaking, okay? And, and so we, Kevin and I, don't always see to eye, to eye to eye. In fact, we rarely do, but it's a gift and it's a blessing because we have shown that you can, become, you can, you can achieve oneness through your differences. And, and I think that's why a lot of you are here, because, because you feel the same way also, is because we can, we can all sit together and have, have different lives and different goals and different ways of doing things, but, but we can come together on Sunday morning and become one. And when I look out here, that's what I see. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for giving us the, the vision of becoming one in you, you Lord, and, and becoming one in our faith and our hope and our love and, and, uh, and believing in one Lord. Thank you so much for Kevin and all that he does, and thank you for all those that serve in this church. Thank you for the, the many blessings that you bestow upon us every week. Thank you for the moisture. God, you're all powerful, and, and we all adore you and look up to you and love you and, and worship you alone. I ask that you lay your healing and gentle hand on us and, and help us in our endeavors as we just try to get through every day uh, knowing that you're there with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> You don't sweat that. I call it maturity. You tell the maturity of a man by the curve of his hat. That's what that is. So you've just grown so much since you've got here. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Save the Cowboy. Uh, most of y'all have been here before. If you haven't, this is a sick pen for sinners, not a show ring for saints. Just like Ty said, man... We're all here not to do things the same way, not to uh, be the same people, but, but to, to share in one purpose and one Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I want to say thank you to uh, each and every one of you that helped make this possible, and, and, and that's nearly all of you, but especially to those that sit at that back table and, and by the back doors that uh, are here before some people are even out of bed, setting up chairs, setting up sound equipment, and uh, thank y'all, thank y'all very much for uh, selflessly dedicating your Sunday mornings. So, um, anyway, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to First Kings. That's in the Old Testament. First Kings. Years ago, uh, three of us went out to uh, a friend of ours' house that had only oh, had a dozen head of cattle or something, and wanted to. Uh, he needed to brand, but he didn't have the the equipment or the uh, horse knowledge or, you know, that kind of stuff to, to get his cattle branded easily. So three of us went out there and we uh, roped and dragged these uh, dozen or so calves to a fire and stamped a brand on their on their hip. And then we worked the cows. And, and before we turned everything out, a neighbor... Uh, 
I was talking to Ty this morning. We can't remember if it was a yearling bull or a big steer or something had gotten in with this guy's set of cows and he didn't have a lot of land and, you know, big steer like that or yearling bull can uh, eat a lot of grass. So he needed to go home. So since we had the horses there, we was going to provide this young bovine a friendly escort back to his house. And so anyway, we saddled up and we had to cinch up pretty tight because it, it, it was a big steer. I think that's what Ty said it was, if we remember, a big, big steer. And so anyway, we I, I, I'm on Fiona, so I've got the smallest horse of the three. And so anyway, our mine and Ty's friend, he, he's on a he's probably got the biggest horse, so he's going to head it. And so we lope out there and we've all got our loops built and he reaches out there and he throws and catches nothing but dirt. I mean, and, and this guy's a good roper. He, he's a good roper, but I mean, he just flat misses. And so Ty sneak, you know, he kind of pulls up and Ty comes around. Ty throws a, a really nice loop on and, and, and gets his dally and kind of gets him slowed down. And anyway, I let our buddy build another loop and he goes in there to heal this thing. And he, he, he does it again. He throws it right in the dirt. And then I came in there on Fiona, picked up one hind leg, and um, we escorted this big steer home. It really wasn't that big of a deal. But later on, uh, this friend of ours that, that, whose place it was, he, he made us, uh, he cooked like barbecue or something like that. It was really good. We stuck around and and played some music and, and just, just hung out like, like friends do. But from the time our, our friend that was roping with us missed that, for like the next six or seven hours, all he did was beat himself up over those two missed shots. And it, we'd be sitting there and we, we, we would be talking about something not even related to Cowboy, and he'd say, Man, I can't believe I missed that, that headshot. It was just right there. I guess I didn't really turn my hand over and we're like, oh, okay. Well, no big deal, man. <laughs> and we go back to talking about whatever we're talking about. And, and sure enough, here in a second, he's like, I can't believe I missed that heel shot. Man, it just, I, I think it caught on, I think there was a mullen weed or something, you know? And we're like, yeah, no big deal, man. Everybody misses sometimes. But for the, like the next six or seven hours, man, he was just beating himself up beating himself up, uh, just being ruthless. And, and that, that has always stuck with me because it's a lot easier to see the fault in somebody else than to realize that it's one of your own. And that's one of my biggest faults is beating myself up. I guess I think that I, that I should be perfect. I think it stems from a lot of things growing up in my childhood. I'm not saying that my parents did this. I'm just saying that maybe it was a coping mechanism of mine or something that disappointment growing up, if somebody was disappointed in me, they disapproved of me. And when they disapproved of me, their love was taking away, taken away from me. Now, I'm not saying that anybody did that, but that's kind of what I grew up believing that disappointment meant disapproval. And so I tried to be absolutely perfect and when I couldn't be perfect, I would just beat myself up. And it was years and years and years. And I think I'm still trying to understand this, that the lie that we tell ourselves, we're in the third part of a four-part series called The Lie We Tell Ourselves. The lie we tell ourselves is that we can grow closer to God by beating ourselves up. That's not true. 
You'll never grow closer to God by beating yourself up. Now, there, there is a difference between repentance, okay, and beating yourself up. If you think back to uh, uh, previously in this series, we talked about the, the, the woman that was caught in adultery and where Jesus knelt down, they were going to stone her to death. And he said, he who hasn't sinned shall cast the first stone. And everybody left. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, he was telling her to repent. Go and sin no more. But he didn't say, man, what you need to do is go beat yourself up for a while. Think about how close you come to dying. And just really get down on yourself. And and, and then me and you will be right. He never said that. He just said, go and sin no more. He said, don't learn from this. Don't go and follow those ways anymore. But anymore, what we do is we try to just, we sit there and, and we just, we're so hard on ourselves. We beat ourselves up all the time. And, and sometimes it's for big mistakes, but other times it's for little things that nobody even, you know, nobody cares if we miss a loop here and there. And, and, and even if we did and it caused something, you know, there's things that just happen. The lie we tell ourselves is that we'll grow closer to God by beating ourselves up, but that's not true. But it's not just us. Some of the most famous people in the Bible did just that. They, they beat themselves up and God always came in and showed them that that wasn't the way. And the very first one is, is probably besides John the Baptist and besides Jesus, the greatest prophet there ever was. His name was Elijah. And in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah has already done battle with the prophets of Baal. And, and there's, there's a bunch of them. And he's just one guy. And, and then the, uh, the king's wife, Jezebel, wants to kill him. And, and Elijah's having a really rough time, okay? So he goes off by himself. And in second, or 1 Kings 19 verse 14, Elijah's talking to God. And he says, I have zealously... You know what that means? He's like, I've given it my all. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Man, he's beating himself up. Now, he's having a hard time. There's no doubt about it. But, but he's going from a hard time. Now he's just beating himself up. We beat ourselves up. When we get alone, when we withdraw from others, when we think that that everything hinges on our accomplishments and what we do, man, the quickest way to to drop down into depression or start beating yourselves up is, is when something goes wrong, we tend to withdraw. But we don't just withdraw from our husbands or our spouses or or uh or our friends or our church family or or in we withdraw from God too. When you start beating yourself up, the natural inclination is to withdraw from the very people that love you most. Elijah does that. He starts to draw away. And, and you can see there's a little bit of, he, he's trying to tell God the way things are. Can you hear that? He said, but the pe- I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars. And killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. Can you hear just a little bit of blame or accusation in there? Like like God's not taking care of him like he should, right? That's what happens when you start beating yourself up and and, and you withdraw and you and you start feeling all alone. We separate ourselves 
when loneliness sets in. But then in verse 18, God sets Elijah straight. In verse 18, he says, there's seven, God tells Elijah, there's 7,000 others in Israel who've never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Elijah thinks he's the only one going through this. That he's the only one that's serving God, that nobody else is using a lot of absolutes, right? That's the way he feels. But God's like, hey, hang on a second, cowboy. You ain't the only one that's having a hard time right now. As a matter of fact, you know, you didn't, you weren't just off by one or two by thinking you were the only one left. There's 7,000 others that are going through this exact same thing. 7,000 others. The mistake we make is thinking that we know what's going on. See, that's when we start beating ourselves up. We think we've got it figured out. That, that God must not be doing this or God is doing this or, or somebody was thinking this or somebody's thinking that. When we start making a lot of assumptions, right? When we start making assumptions, it separates us and we tend to go off on our own. And when we go off on our own, we start coming up with our own ideas of what reality is. But God says there's 7,000 others in Israel who've never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. See, we got to, the trick to that is we got to trust that God knows what he's doing, okay? That doesn't mean that God's going to make our lives super smooth and there's never going to be a problem or anything like that. But when we start separating ourselves and we start feeling lonely, when we start thinking that we're the only ones that's struggling with this, we're the only ones that have this problem, that's a lie that we tell ourselves, I'm the only one. You're not the only one. And the the solution to that is not to separate yourself and become more alone. The solution to that is to trust in God. Didn't he say, I will never leave you nor forsake you? We've got to trust in him. There's another guy that's pretty famous. His name is David. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12... We find that that David, the man after God's own heart, has actually had a guy killed so that he could sleep with his wife. Wow. I've done some pretty rotten things in my life, but I've never done one of those two things. Okay? But this is a guy this is a guy after man, uh, God's own heart. This is the king of Israel, the you know, this is the guy that slew Goliath. And, you know, King Saul tried to kill and all that. Well, we find that, that as a result of that, David's son is going to die. Now, that's, that's, that's pretty harsh, okay? That, that's pretty harsh that David's son's going to die because of his sin. But I, there, there's a lot of theories out there, and I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail. But um, I, I believe that the child was sick. God could have healed. Absolutely, God could have healed. But the problem with sin is it says explicitly in the Bible that sin makes it where God cannot hear our prayers. Okay? And so because of David's sin, God wouldn't listen or couldn't hear his prayers. And so instead of the son being healed, the son ended up dying. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, it says, David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. 
the elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat, but he refused. See, while there is forgiveness of sin, there is not freedom from the consequences of sin. Okay? Jesus says that every sin can be forgiven, but that doesn't mean that you are, you may be forgiven of the sin, but a lot of times we still have to suffer the consequences of, of that sin. And make no mistake about it, sin always exacts a price from us. Sometimes it's years later. Sometimes it's just a little piece of our soul. Sometimes it ends in divorce or, or even death. While we are forgiven of our sins, we're often not released from the consequences of those sins. When we know we've messed up, see, David knew he messed up. This is a little different than just feeling sorry for yourself. David had messed up and he knew he messed up. And so he went without food all day and all night and and slept on the bare ground. But then in, in verse 21, we pick up the child dies. And, and really, we see why David is a man after God's own heart, not because he committed adultery or not because he had somebody murdered, but because of his response to stuff. And in verse 21, it says, David's advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. We don't understand you. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and you're eating again. That seemed backwards to them, right? David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and listen to my prayers and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? No, but I will go to him one day. I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. See David's response right there? As as backwards as it seems, even us, I think listening to this, we're just like his advisors. We don't understand you. We don't understand you, David. Well, David knew that just because his son had passed from this world, that he would see him one day again in heaven. The best way to grow closer to God isn't by beating yourself up, but getting up and doing what you should have been doing in the first place. Think about that. How many times have we beat ourselves up for one of these sins that we've committed, no matter how big, no matter how small, and we just sit there and we fast and we weep and everything, and and there's nothing we can do to, to change that or bring it back. But what we need to do is know that God forgives us and we need to get up and wash our face. And get up and start doing what we know we should have been doing in the first place. Nobody represents that idea better than probably one of my favorites. And I know one of Ty's favorites and probably one of your favorite people in in all of scripture that's not named Jesus. But his name is Peter. In John uh, chapter 21, we find that Jesus was arrested. What does Peter do after Jesus is arrested? He denies him how many times? Three times, right? He denies that he even knows Jesus. 
I mean, I've committed some pretty bad sins in my life, but I've never publicly denied Jesus three times with him being in the next room, basically. But Peter did. This is a guy that walked and talked and hugged Jesus, broke bread with Jesus, and he denied him three times. Jesus dies on the cross and he comes back and he appears to him a a couple of different times, but Peter never gets a chance to talk to Jesus. But then one day they're out fishing and somebody hollers from the shore, hey, y'all caught any fish? They said, no. He said, throw your nets down on the right side of the boat. They did. And they caught a bunch of fish in John who called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. I love that. That's confidence right there, right? I'm the preacher that Jesus loves. He said, it's the Lord. And what does Peter do? Y'all remember for the second time in his life, what does he do? He jumps out of a boat. He jumps out of a boat. He's like, I'm not waiting to haul the fish in. I'm not waiting to, to get to shore. I'm going to Jesus right now. And he swims to shore. And what does he find? Does he find a scolding savior? You know what, Peter, you denied me three times. I knew you was going to do it. I told you it would happen. Did Jesus give him and I told you so? Nope. He made him breakfast. Warms my heart. I, we've, those of us that have been to Israel have stood right there where it supposedly happened. The church of Peter's primacy is what it's called. We stood right there on that shore where Peter, where Jesus was cooking on fish on a rock. We beat ourselves up. And when we do that, Jesus had just trained his disciples for three years, right? He called them out of a life of fishing. And he said, come and I'll make you fishers of men, right? To spread the gospel, to do all of that stuff. And then Jesus dies and what do they do? They go right back to fishing. Because when you start beating yourself up, you know what you'll do? You'll do the same thing Peter and the rest of the disciples did. You'll go right back to the life that you used to lead. It's human nature. When you start beating yourself up, you're going to go right back to where you were before you met Jesus. You'll go back to doing the same things. And maybe you're that, maybe you're in that area right now. Man, you, you, you had come so far, but something happened and you just reverted right back to before you had even known Jesus. That's what happens when we beat ourselves up. When we beat ourselves up, we typically revert to the old ways of doing things. But when Peter sees the Lord again, he jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. And if we turn to John chapter 21, starting in verse 15, it says, after breakfast, not before breakfast, not when Peter gets there to the shore, after breakfast, Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the same question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. How many times did Jesus ask him the same question? Three. 
Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. Isn't it funny how Jesus, I'm sure Jesus's feelings were hurt, but you know, Peter denied him three times, but yet it was Peter that was hurt because he asked him the same question three times. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. In other words, don't go back to the life that you used to have. I have given you a new life with a new purpose. You do that and you do it for me. If you love me, you will obey my commands. You will live the life I tell you to live because I'm not lying. It may seem counterproductive to the way the world works, but this is the only way that will bring you life. This is the only thing that will bring you fulfillment. Not that old way. Instead of beating yourself up and going back to your old life, grab onto the new life that we have in Jesus. And understand this, this is the very passage of scripture that I finally realized something that you're going to go, well, yeah, but chances are you've believed this also. It was in this passage of scripture, the reason it's one of my favorites is because I finally realized that no matter what I do, Jesus is not mad at me. And God's not mad at you either. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what kind of life that you've been living. I don't know why you felt alone. I don't know what kind of sin that you've committed or you have in your life. But I do know that God loves you and he is not mad at you. He's not mad at you. That's a lie that we believe that somehow that we can do something that's going to so heinous that God's not going to love us anymore. And it's not possible for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life for the son of man didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it, to save you. God's not mad at you. You don't have to feel alone. You don't have to beat yourself up. Pick yourself up. Brush your hair. Brush your teeth. Go do what you are supposed to be doing. And remember, God's not mad at you. He loves you. See, guilt, shame, fear, and self, self-loathing are all things the devil uses to drag us away from God. Guilt, shame, fear, and self-loathing are all the things that the devil uses to drag us away from God. But repentance, repentance meaning to be sorry enough that you're not going to do it anymore is what a little girl defined it as, best definition I've ever heard. Repentance means being sorry enough to quit. Repentance, forgiveness, courage, and love are the tools that God uses to bring us closer to him. Quit beating yourselves up. Nobody ever grew closer to God by beating themselves up. But you can grow closer to God by repenting, by accepting and asking for the forgiveness that Jesus offers, by having the courage to be who God made you to be and to learn to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Some of you have been beating yourselves up. It's time to stop and let's all get back to what we're supposed to be doing. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we ask forgiveness for all the times we failed you. We know that you are a gracious God and we know that you love us and you want us with you. 
Help us to grab a hold of the forgiveness you've offered and grant it to ourselves. Only then may we find the path that leads back to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Thank you all for coming today. It's always a pleasure. Be careful out there. And I hope you all have a great and awesome week. And if you haven't heard it already, say it every single week. I love each and every one of y'all also. See y'all next week.